what are you doing? <laughs> You're welcome. Trying to get me in trouble with, with Mr. Uh, hey, you were Mr. Typing, he- super heavyweight you were, champ. You were sending me great stuff. I figured it would, yeah, it would I'll be send, worth it. I send jokes that I don't necessarily want to say. It seemed like you wanted to go there. Nope. But I went there. You did. I went there. And uh, I do think it was funny. But he, uh, I don't think he did. Hey! Hey! <laughs> Welcome back, everybody. To the Reverend and the Reprobate? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So, with uh, with an actual Reverend and the fun one. <laughs> so, uh, today we, we get the opportunity to talk to a, a good friend of ours, um, but also very. a very accomplished uh, professional f- MMA fighter, Ron Waterman. You can check him out at ronwaterman.com. He talks about um, some of that stuff in there. We talk a little bit about this, his book, Tapped Out by Jesus, From the Cage to the Cross, yeah. um, which is a compilation of stories throughout his life, uh, his career with the WWE, or which back then was the WWF. WWE, WEC. Yeah, WEC, right? uh, Pancreas. And UFC, Pancreas, where UFC. they fight insulin. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think that that's that, 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 that's all, all how they got to do there is not have sugar or white flour. Yeah, according to Leanne Morgan. <laughs> to Leanne Morgan. So uh, Ron talks to us a little bit about that. He talks to us about godly manhood. Um, talks about which I thought was was really great. He gets into in the in the book about what his struggle was like moving through divorce as a Christian. It's not something that he he wanted or. Um, but it is eventually what what happened with his first marriage. Now he's been uh, married to a, a great gal named Daisy now, and um, they've got a little girl, and he's just experiencing happiness on a whole new level. And what that journey was like, he gives some advice on on how to get through that for some of the men that we know, uh, some of the guys that we're we're actually really close to that are walking through the same thing. So, uh, just a great, really cool, really transparent, very authentic interview. With Ron, it will be a little disjointed because not because of Ron, but because we're hopping around all over the place. There's mm-hmm. just so much stuff to talk about, and so we got excited. Yeah, you, you get into some real deep discussion with him, and he does not think I'm very funny. <laughs> that sums up the interview. Well, we will let people judge that for themselves. So check uh, it out. Buckle up. And also, it's been a little bit, but uh, pray for Kyle. Bathroom issues. Yeah. Still yeah. having bathroom issues. <laughs> Reprobate, we're honored today to have one of our uh, our friends from Team Impact as we bring things full circle around to some of the interviews we did at the very beginning. But we waited on this one because as much as I love Randall and Greg. I'm scared of this one. This, <laughs> this We needed some practice before we did this because this guy has been professionally interviewed before. And we are less worse at interviews, as we have said, than we were in the beginning. Um, We've got with us Ron H2O Waterman. Ron was a a fighter in the UFC in the early 2000s, in WEC, in Pride, in Pancreas, uh, 14 years with Team Impact, which is where... Um, I was first exposed to Ron in the way that there was this ginormous man who just like patted me on the head and was like, you look like one of the Hanson brothers. I was like, oh, thank you very much. Please don't eat me. And then, uh, you know, since then has become a paramedic. He's authored a book called Tapped Out by Jesus, which I own and highly recommend. You can get it on Amazon or through his website, ronwaterman.com. And has another uh, a children's book where they're shopping for a publisher. So if you are a publisher and need an awesome children's book, I'm sure Ron's Ron's got one. Or at the very least, you can hear his pitch. But without further ado, there he is, the man, the myth, the legend, the H2O man himself. What's going on, Ron? <laughs> Ron Waterman. Not much, brother. Just glad to be here. Yeah. yeah. I, I actually first uh, – so I, I was at, at Team Impact similar uh, probably around the time that they – I'm sure we would have crossed paths at some point, but – the time that I remember meeting you was was at a UFC fight, oh, and it was yeah. very fast. And, and and I don't I don't think you were fighting that night, but the but Shane was the guy you were training. Okay. Um, the the Texas was, showdown. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It was yep. that one. And there was a there was an accident that happened at that fight, where a man. Um, lost a, a bit of himself that no one ever once crushed and lost. Mm-hmm. And I remember that there was a long delay in the fights before that, and we were trying to figure it out, and somebody came up, and they were like, this is going to take a while. I, I was debating on becoming a UFC fighter, and that was the night that I decided it wasn't Oh, for me. really? Wow. 
I that, never knew that's that about a you before. Lie. That's yeah. a complete lie. <laughs> yeah. So, Ron, talk us through your your kind of your career path because I don't know, and this is a, an unfair stereotype that a lot of athletes get. I know you were a collegiate athlete, um, and uh, and obviously you were a professional athlete. But one of the stereotypes that a lot of athletes get is that they are sort of these like uh, grunts. So how do you go from from athlete because you were uh, an amateur and professional athlete, you were also an art teacher and an author. How how did that career path work? How did you get from point A to point B? Well, I was a, a college wrestler, so that kind of led that was kind of an easy transition to UFC fighter from there. Because I was a as a as a coach you know the, the my wrestling team obviously they're like hey we've got a challenge for you there's this cool sport that was just coming into the mainstream at the time and it was just kind of a one of those sports that was kind of taboo on television and uh they dared me to enter this local competition that was down in denver about an hour drive away um, coming up and they said, I, we, we dare you to enter this competition. And there was three fights in one night. Um, so I took them up on the challenge. I trained for like literally a month, mm-hmm. drove down to Denver and had three fights in one night. I ended up fighting two of the guys that were previously in UF, UF, the UFC and won three fights in one night. Each of them lasted like 30 seconds and come to find out, it was called the Boss Root and Invitational. Oh, nice. And to find out, John Peretti is the uh, official of this, and he's the UFC matchmaker. So lo and behold, I get an invitation right to the next UFC. So I had three amateur fights, and I get invited right to the next UFC. Wow. So my career just kind of springboards right into the UFC. My first UFC fight lasted 20 seconds. I tapped the guy out by strikes. So I just, my MMA career kind of, it just explodes, gets launched right up. And then I find myself getting flown out to um, California to get put in the first UFC video game. And on the way out to. Which I own, by the way. What console (laughs) was that on? It was on PlayStation. PlayStation. Oh, the original one. Yeah. Yeah. It's on the original PlayStation. I still, I don't have the PlayStation, but I still have the UFC fight game. Yeah. So that I could play as Ron. What were your stats? I'm sure. Uh, you, I'm sure you don't know that one. <laughs> I wouldn't. He was I like, thought it was tech at the time. It's so cool because I'm thinking, oh man, this is so high tech. And then I played it like probably six months ago, and oh my gosh, compared to today, it's like it's so hard to play. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah, I uh, I I recently started playing the Nintendo 64 again. Goldeneye, Rogue Squadron, some of those old ones, and I was like, this is not. This sucks. This is not what I remember, but uh-uh. but I did want to ask you. You you mentioned um, that it was a taboo sport. I remember. I mean, I don't know that I was aware of it when it really first came out, but when at least I became aware of it, there was you know growing up in church, there was a lot of. I would say it was taboo. I think you nailed it on the head with that. Um, why do you think it was so taboo? Being a sport that's controlled, similar to boxing. Well, back then, I mean, they were calling it you know human cockfighting and. Uh, McCain was, you know, trying to get it outlawed from television. And, you know, it was just one of those things that people didn't understand. They didn't consider it a, a real sport. And it was just a bloodbath. And and I knew right away, clear back then, I knew that this sport was going to explode one day. Yeah, it's awesome. And sure enough, now, you know, because I, I saw the competitive edge of it, you know. And, and, you know, sure enough, now it's sanctioned and it's, you know, it's become one of the biggest sports in mainstream, of course. Yeah. But anyway, I was it, to continue my story, I was on the airplane flying out to get uh, this videotape taken. And I sit next to this guy and he starts asking me all these questions. And lo and behold, he's best friends with Shane McMahon. And he starts talking to me and telling me how I should be this professional wrestler. And he sets me up with an, uh, uh, interview with Shane McMahon. So I get flown out to WWE headquarters the following week in Stanford, Connecticut with Shane McMahon, Jim Ross, and all these big wigs of WWE. And I end up signing a four year contract, um, with the WWE and, giving up fighting for a couple of years and traveling the world with uh, the world wrestling federation at the Good time grief. 
<laughs> World Wrestling Entertainment, become tag team partners with Brock Lesnar, and I'm traveling the world with uh, and Cena and all these guys that you watch on television today. And so that was another chapter of my life that I got to experience for a couple of years. And when that chapter closed, um, that's when I kind of got tied up with uh, with Team Impact because one of the guys that used to I used to wrestle with was a former power team member, Rico Constantino. Okay. And that you don't want to go with the power team. He goes, you got to travel with these guys called Team Impact. So he gave me the number of Jeff Otis. I send Jeff Otis a, um, a, an email and he calls me on the phone 30 minutes later. And I flies me out to California or flies me out to Texas and puts me on a crusade with Jeff Neal and uh, Guy Earl and a couple of others. And I've been with the team ever since. That's awesome. Jeff Neal, the man of steel. Yeah. I, I remember when, when we were in the office, the version of the story that we got was that Jeff Otis discovered you. And yeah. then when, uh, when somebody was like, no, Ron emailed Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> and and, yeah and Jeff was like, well, yeah, but I called him back. We're like, high five. <laughs> yeah, high five. High five. You got cold emailed by one of the greatest athletes in the world at the time. And so, you know, well done on calling him back. It was a way to scope the good, talent. Good call, buddy. Yeah. So what was what was it like being on the road with with those guys in the the WWF, um, which is now, you know, like you said, it's, it's the WWE. What was that road lifestyle like? And especially um, – you know, were you were a believer at the time that you were on the road with them or not? You know, Lucas, I was a brand new believer. Yeah. So um, what was that like? And I thought I was going to go in there and just change the world. You know, I right. being this brand new believer, I thought I was going to go in there and start holding Bible studies with these guys and just totally change all of this. And um, man, I was so awakened. Um, just kind of overwhelmed um by the whole thing and it was rough it was it was actually really hard um trying to survive in that in that world and trying to excel and and move up um and being surrounded by i guess a bit not a better word for it just being surrounded by demons yeah <laughs> and in that environment and and trying to survive in there and trying to excel and still battle everything that's around you. Um, and I lasted for two years and I said, I can't do this anymore. Um, and had to get out. You, you talk a lot in your book about how your first few weeks on the road with team impact were really, um, life-changing in the in the fact of the perspective that it brought on what true manhood was and how to take care of your family and those kind of things uh, one of the the things that we've really noticed as we've done this podcast is that there is this huge gap in male community and i think a lot of guys are in that same boat that you were in when you were with you know the wwe and wwf as far as that they're they want to be able to do things as a believer but it's so hard when the world is pressing against you what yes. would you say to to guys that are in that boat to encourage them, you know, to, you know, what are things that they can do to begin the pursuit of, of godly manhood, of being a godly husband, a godly father, and just, a, and you know, for the single guys like what I was just a few months ago, to be a godly man in the midst of a world that's that's constantly like putting things against you or, or, or pressing on you to make changes that are in the opposite direction? Yeah, just having that accountability and being surrounded by other Christian you know, strong Christian role models was huge for me. So when I got with Team Impact, you know, instead of being surrounded by all these worldly guys that are all about egos and themselves and what I called God glory and, and girls, um, now I'm surrounded by these guys that are all about Jesus and living for for Christ. And, you know, they're all about their families and they're, they're praying over me and they're praying over you know, their families and that God comes first in their lives. And man, I was just floored, you know, to room with these guys that are, you know, on the phone, they're praying for their wives over their phone every single night. And they, you know, they don't room by themselves. They room with another guy, just hold each other accountable. And yeah. it was just a different world for me. And to enter into this other world, I was like, man, this is, this is amazing. And I was so 
unlike what I was used to that I was like, this is, this is what I was called to do. <laughs> and, uh, and as a part of team impact, we've, I mean, Danley and I got to go several years on the road with them over the course of time and, um, getting to see your, your ministry and your interaction with people. The one thing that I always remember was that there were a handful of the athletes, not that all the guys on Team Impact weren't incredible athletes in their own regard, but that there were a handful of athletes that allowed the feet ministry to to maintain legitimacy. Um, you know, Randall was one because Randall was constantly competing as a power lifter. And so that there were guys that were in competition that were part of it. Uh, Josh Thigpen was another as he did the world strongman competitions and you were one and your area of, of athletics being, um, in fighting was always one that for a lot of people, there was a big question mark that they were like, okay, so he's a, he's a fighter and he's a Christian yeah. and he's a minister. How do those things, you know, mesh work? together? Yeah. How does that work? So what yeah. was it, you know, for you, was there ever any difficulty reconciling those things together or, or did you always feel like it was a pretty clear it was a, thing that was offered to you or, or opportunities you had in front of you? I thought it was always super clear for me. And I've said this from day one is God needs people in every single one of those fields. You know, he needs, he needs witnesses in every one of those. And, and God used me in that field all the time. I mean, as a witness. So when I was on the road, um, as a fighter, I mean, I got to witness to people all around me after I got through with a fight in pride, I got to stand in front of millions of people and quote scripture in the middle of the ring. And I have to point my finger up to the sky and, and thank the Lord for the opportunity that he gave me. And, and not point my finger at myself like yeah. you see so many athletes do today. And, you know, I got to be a, a witness for him in front of millions of people. And, you know, that's, that's what God's using me for. It wasn't about me. It was about him. So, you know, and be a good sportsman, go out there and hug your opponent and, you know, give thanks to the Lord for the opportunities that he's given you. So, you know, God needs witnesses in every single sport. It doesn't matter what it is. And it wasn't, for me, it wasn't about the violence of the sport. It was about the competition of the sport. And I'm a competitor and I still am today. And I love the competition aspect of the sport. It's not me, about me going out and hurting my opponent. It's never been about that for me. It's competition and I love competition. I still do and I always will. But yeah, um, that's not what I'm in it for. It's not about violence. So you are, you have accomplished one of what I consider one of the greatest feats in, uh, in martial arts, and that is becoming a black belt in jujitsu. Jujitsu is, uh, the practice of jujitsu and the just sort of longevity and commitment that it takes to become a black belt in jujitsu is incredible. It's not something, um, we, we had an instructor who became a black belt. He was one of our professors at a jujitsu school I was at. He became a black belt in Taekwondo in seven months. It took him 12 years to get his black belt in jujitsu. What was that journey like for you? And why did you, why was jujitsu so appealing to you in particular? Well, I've always been, a, I was a college wrestler, so that was kind of the easiest transition for me to be a ground fighter. Um, it was kind of all the things you couldn't do as a wrestler, you could do as a jiu-jitsu artist. So that was the, the one martial art that was the easiest to transition into for me. So jiu-jitsu was, you know, the one passion that I had that was easy to transition into. I'm not a great stand-up guy, uh, never have been, and, and I entered the game um, back when you could be just a good wrestler actually, and, and still be a champion. Yeah. You didn't have to be so, so well-rounded like you have to, to today to be a great fighter. So, so typically, <laughs> typically in, in MMA, there are strikers and then ground fighters. Is that correct? So, so what, what, what is correct. the, what's the, you mentioned going from wrestling to jujitsu being a natural path and that you yes. can expand upon your, your wrestling skills. What are things you can do in jujitsu that you can't do in wrestling? Chokes and all kinds of uh, heel hooks and locks and stuff, but mainly chokes and and a lot of uh, a lot of bars and stuff that you can lock up and submissions that you can't do in wrestling. So hmm. if if I remember from the times that we got to to roll with you whenever we were on the road. 
I remember there was one thing that you you had said to me. Um, Ron once called me wiry, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you were like, no, 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 you're wiry, and I never could figure out whether or not it was a compliment. There was like, because I think I was like 140 pounds at the time, and somebody was like, yeah. Ron said you're pretty wiry, and I was like, "Yeah, is that good, or is he just saying that I'm small, and that's like the compliment you give small guys?" No, no. So, so it was good, but but there was one move that I always ended up in, no matter what, and it was the key lock, yes. which seemed to be to be your your go to. Um, what were if you were to to narrow it down, like these are my favorite two or three submissions, your go tos. What were those? Well, definitely a key lock. If you look back at my record, you'll see that most of, not most, but a good majority of my wins came from a key lock because I was a wrestler. So getting into side mount and then uh, you start ground and pounding somebody, the first thing that they do is they come up to defend themselves and block those those punches from side mount. And they just feed that arm right up into, to block themselves and they feed right up into a key lock. So that was a super easy um submission for me so a key lock is probably my number one and then a arm triangle is another one that uh is a good one for me and those because of wrestling all, yeah. all of these things i've heard joe rogan say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i i remember when when we were rolling the first time that i went up to to do that and got put into a key you lock love saying that don't you it was because ron was like slow motion like punching at us he would, like, yeah. I was I was totally pinned down I couldn't move couldn't breathe and he's like and this is what I would be doing with my fist right now I'm like this is not, I, my skull would just be crushed it would just be completely gone um you uh you talk some in your book about um your your marriage late in life that you've got a daughter now uh after having raised two boys um and you've got grandkids what is life now looking back as a as a dad of and your your daughter is how old seven seven, seven years old just and this how, last week okay so how old are the grandkids grandkids are two three and five okay so what is it like being dad and granddad at the same time it's pretty crazy <laughs> <laughs> i'm just glad that i had mine before uh, i was a grand parent do, <laughs> do, do you that would have been super weird yeah <laughs> do you spoil your grandkids and tell your daughter no at the same time uh, like you yeah, three get course. ice cream you don't get any you gotta do your homework <laughs> mine gets spoiled pretty bad though yeah yeah well that that's good what have you what have you found um i guess during so you're to let our audience know now you are uh, a firefighter and paramedic i am what has been um, that? Which obviously that means you're staying in good shape. You look way younger than Danley and I do, though our audience <laughs> might not know that you are slightly older than us. Yeah, yeah. What's what's slightly. next on your manly job agenda? Yeah. Well, what is uh, what's it been like for you during the pandemic? What adjustments have have you had to make? Because we haven't had a, a first responder on the show since this started. So I'm curious mm -hmm. as to what are the adjustments that you've had to make as a as a first responder and, and what has life been like since the pandemic started for you? You know, it really um, job. My job hasn't changed a whole lot. We, you know, obviously still have to go to work as a firefighter and a paramedic. Right. <laughs> we still work our normal. We work 48 hour shifts. So we go and work two days and then we get four days off. Um, our work is pretty much the same. We haven't, um, you know, it, it's changed a little bit in that we run our calls a little bit differently. We have to dress differently at work and we wear full COVID restrictions when we're running calls. Now we have to dress differently and wear full PPE and masks and respond differently to our patients and stuff. But other than that, I mean, our calls are all the same. Um, it's all kind of just been a crazy world. 2020 was definitely a, a crazy year for us. Yeah. And Agreed. now you're in, you're in the Greeley, Colorado area. And isn't that where yeah. the, um, the retirement home protest was where the, the people in the retirement home came out and said, we would rather die of COVID than loneliness a few months ago. 
they might have been great. I'm in Windsor now. And okay. We're actually building a house in Berthoud, but um, oh, nice. Yeah, Greeley has a lot of retirement homes, so I would not doubt that that happened. So what is I I guess transitioning to back to training and things has or are you still training in jujitsu and has COVID affected the way that you're able to train? It's train. It's actually affected us quite a bit. I was supposed to um, go to several classes and uh, actually for my department, we were going to instruct um, a class for all of our employees at Mountain View at my fire department and just a self-defense class for all of the people. And we had to cancel that three times now because of COVID because we can't have that many people in a room. We couldn't even have three people. Oh, good grief. And you can't roll now in a in a room because you have to be masked up. And obviously, jujitsu and wearing masks isn't a real good combination. And no, people sweating on each other is is not real great with COVID right now. So it's affected jujitsu and rolling quite a bit. <laughs> hmm. Wow, I wonder how this affects the UFC. I, I mean, I'm assuming that they are. Getting, There's nobody getting, in the stands if you've seen any of the fights that have happened. Yeah, yeah which is really bizarre. Strange, but but yeah. the training that they have to go through, they have to roll with partners. And I mean, I'm assuming that every day they're getting COVID tested. And mm-hmm. man. yeah, and the, the camps would be the camps would be strange. I mean, I'm sure you just have a few people in your camp and those people have to be pretty good friends and stay pretty isolated, I would assume, and not go out and party. I mean, they probably got to be pretty much isolated, just that group of people for your own camp. So looking back, you've had a, a big career that spanned a lot of different stuff and we've covered uh, a lot of that ground. We, we've talked about this stuff that's in the book. You've um, got the, the children's book, which is um, I'm assuming loosely based off of your uh, kids program that you did for the elementary schools where you were made fun of as a, as a child um, for being chubby. And now you outweigh us by a hundred pounds, but you have abs and we do not. Yeah. Now, yeah, now, now you fight fires and Brock Lesnar. <laughs> so um, when at the point that you're now, if you were to look at a retrospective, what do you think has been your biggest accomplishment throughout, you know, your, your life thus far? Well, when I'm always asked that question, my definitely my biggest accomplishment was at the age of 32 when I accepted Jesus into my life. And I will tell anybody that was my greatest day of my life and definitely my biggest accomplishment was having Christ as my Lord and Savior. Yeah. What do you think when, you know, other people that are in that that same age bracket that are making decisions, especially men that we're um, – We've got so many that are isolated now. You've got the the number of uh, suicides among males, especially in that 30 to, to 45-year-old age bracket, is up. One of the things we were talking with a guy named Stephen Mansfield, who's a, who's a best-selling author a few weeks ago, said that most of the notes that they're seeing now, especially over in the UK, is that like no other man knows what I'm going through. How can mm-hmm. this be? We've got a lot of guys that are wrestling with faith, several that we've put just at the cusp. But they're like, I, I realize that I'm a sinner in need of repentance. I realize that Christ died for my sins. I just can't hit that jumping off point to believe in the resurrected Savior. What would you tell somebody? What is it that made the difference in your life to be able to not just you know have the recognition of the need for the Savior, but also then to really jump off into the belief and, and what made the difference for you? You know, that day that I was, that, that I was saved, um, personally, I, I felt something inside the day that I heard that, you know, the pastor speak. And when he said, you know, those of you that haven't invited Christ into your life, I mean, I felt something inside that day that I'd never felt before. And I knew that I needed what Christ had to offer. And I'd never felt that before. And, you know, I couldn't even fight back the emotions that I was feeling and tears were flowing down my my eyes. And I knew that day that, you know, that I needed Christ in my life. And, and I immediately after that day got involved in Bible studies and started going and got surrounded myself with, with, uh, other people that, you know, could hold me accountable. And, you know, I got plugged in and if you know you if you try to do this all on your own i think you're you're just asking for trouble i mean you you can't 
do this by yourself. So once you become a Christian, you need to start taking those steps forward and and have an accountability partner and having people that you can call on when you're going through those tough times and try not to battle that those battles by yourself. Have somebody that you can get on the phone with and and call and talk to through those tough times and accountability partners that you can that you can count on that will pick up their phone when you're struggling and, and having tough times like that, that can walk you through those, those battles, because we all have them. Even now that, you know, I've been a Christian for 20 years. I still go through tough times. We all do. And it's great to be able to pick up the phone and say, Hey buddy, let's go have a cup of coffee. I need to talk to somebody. Yeah. I think that that's a really important thing. We're, we're discovering that more and more and, uh, you know, not just the, the sense that it's something that's necessary, but we have to work to build that because it's as we become more detached or more career oriented or things like that, it's it's easier and easier for us to isolate from everybody else versus engage. And I think the, the pandemic has done a wonderfully awesome slash terrible job of pointing out in all of us the, mm-hmm. the disengagement and the need for community. Yeah. Um, I, I do have a couple of questions about the way that you wrote the book. The book is a series of stories and I'm, I'm curious cause some of them seem like they're in chronological order and others. It seems like you, you start a story, um, after you've given a couple of chapters of background that hops into, to another area. Have you thought about, um, be, because everything in here is interesting and I always feel like whenever I say feel like as I finished each chapter, I wanted more detail. Have you have you thought about doing like the the memoir of the where we where we start with, you know, the NCAA, the, the collegiate career and some childhood stuff into where you are now um, giving some of the full details of it? Because there are some details about, you know, what happened with the WWE and, you know, that up and down struggle that you had, where things were at with Team Impact. But also you're very transparent in this book about uh, your your divorce and some of the things that happened there and meeting your your new wife and um, who Daisy's amazing. I've gotten to see, a, you know, you two grow together and a lot of the stuff on uh, your your social media pages. And it was one of the things that encouraged me getting married at, at 34 um, that like there is still the potential for good, healthy relationship, even even though I spent all of these years as a single guy in, in pursuit of completely different things than what I was looking at. Then. In your old age? Yeah, in my old, in my wife say it's in my advanced age, yeah. as my wife told me. Um, so you've, you've got a couple good years ahead yeah, of you still. Yeah, maybe one or two left. So, um, but have you have you thought about that? And uh, the the follow up question to that is, what would you what would you tell men that are in you know that that situation? And maybe this is a, a separate topic to get into of uh, that you know they are they've experienced divorce. They're in that spot now, and they're they're looking to move on. We've had a couple of widowers on. We've got some mm-hmm. friends that have been divorced within the past couple of years that are believers, and they're trying to figure out what life looks like now post that and what advice might you give to those guys well um you know at the time you just think that you know things can't things can't get any better or things can't get better and your life and and it was just such a dark time going through it at the time that you're just in such a such a bad place um it's just so hard. And I remember being on the road, you know, during that time and, and leaning on some of you guys that were on the road with me and, um, just battling some of those emotions. And then, you know, just staying in the word and, and just staying positive through those times and just leaning on and God through those times, knowing that he's going to bring the right person to you at the right time and knowing and trusting in him for it and not going out and trying to search for your own happiness, but leaning on the Lord for it. And I think that's the biggest advice I could give to somebody. I think so many guys try to go out and force a relationship or, or force their own happiness. And they try to like, I'm going to go find my happiness. I'm going to go out party and I'm going to go out drinking. I'm going to find my happiness through, um, and they try to 
just they try to make it themselves instead of just living day to day like they're supposed to and serving the Lord every single day and just trusting that he's going to bring that happiness to them when it's the right time in the right place. And if you just do it the right way, God's going to make it happen and it's going to make it happen the right way. I think that that's a very sage for, um, for most of us. I mean, there's as, especially as a pastor, there's some instances where I feel like I'm just at a loss because there's, there's some things that only experience can, can teach us as you walk through. And it's different from me saying, no, you need to stay in the word. You need to do this. You need to just yeah. continue to be rooted um, versus to, to see somebody that has walked through it. And on the other side, like you, who, who God is just completely and tremendously blessed with, uh, with the family and stuff that they've got. Um, not just to mention everything that you've got behind you with all of the other things where you can just point to and be like, this, these are the things that happened because I was honoring the Lord. He opened up these opportunities for me, which has just been absolutely awesome. Well, Ron, and you don't understand it. You don't understand what's happening at the time. And you don't, you, you know, you don't understand a thing until you look back afterwards and you say, you know, it's, it's so clear afterwards when you're looking back at your life, but at the time you totally don't understand a thing, but it's not for you to understand until, until the end, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, Hey man, I, I really appreciate the time. I know we said we were going to hold you for about a half hour and we've gone over that just a little bit. So we want to let you get back with your family, but Ron, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks for uh, chatting with our audience. Make sure you go check out ronwaterman.com where you can get uh, the book tapped out by Jesus, as well as some of the H2O gear that's still out there. Um, where can we find you on, uh, on maybe Instagram, Twitter? I saw that your last, your last tweet is up there on your site. Um, so what are your, what are your handles so we can find you on social media? Uh, you can find me on Facebook at just Ron Waterman and also on Instagram. Um, I think, um, Ron H2O man as well on Instagram. Nice. And so if people are in the Colorado area and they are looking for the most intimidating realtor out there, they can also <laughs> check right. out uh, H2O Man Realty. There you go. <laughs> right. Well, hey, Ron, we really appreciate the time, man. Thanks very yeah, much. Yeah, th- thanks for coming. If you're ever in town, we can do a special episode where you punch me in the face for those terrible jokes. <laughs> I'd really just choke you out. But, yeah, yeah, hey, there you that, go. That works, too. <laughs> well, well, hey, man, it would be an honor. <laughs> So I'm going to start this one the same way I always do. So Ron Waterman, huh? I've Ron noticed. Waterman, H2O I've no- man. So every time we come back from an interview, I'm realizing as we're doing the edit, the editing that I have this same stupid line where I'm like, so my, my, such and such, huh? Yeah. I really I steamed him up. I don't know what to say. You, I'm trying to make an H2O joke. How do, how's it going? It's not. It's not going Did really well. Did you vaporize but, uh, the H2O? <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Vaped him. So, but no, uh, super cool guy. Yeah, and really laid back. He rolled with the punches. Hey! There you go. No, yeah, uh, yeah, I like that yeah. you kept saying, like, back, you know, uh, you and I actually rolled. Yeah, yeah. I bet so you it, love saying it that, did, don't you? It happened a couple of times. We got to, one of the coolest things about being on the road with the guys in Team Impact was we we helped them train for their events mm-hmm. and as a, as a road manager cuz i was never an athlete on the road um, let me rephrase i've never been an athlete so when we went to <laughs> <laughs> we went to uh, to go to to different cities to work on stuff like when we were working with the guys that were the the world's strongest man competitors we we got to do some of the events with them as far as like the training and stuff went. Yeah, they had so, to train constantly. Oh my god, it well, was every day. Yeah. for a couple hours at least. And it was one of those things where they did such a vast I, array. I of... always drove them to the gym. <laughs> well done. Yep, that that's what I would do. So, but but they had such a vast array of areas of competition. That like when you were on the road, it was one week in particular where I was on the road with Randall Harris, who we've interviewed before. Um, Randall the Bear Harris. Yeah, world powerlifting champion. Josh Thigpen, who is a world strongman competitor. Josh and, uh, Pigpen Thigpen. Yeah, that will get you punched. <laughs> um, and then and then Ron. And so like, one day. Greg Evil Lewis. Poor Greg. 
So what, I love Greg. That's not that is not an insult. You're just being rude to Greg. I'm telling. Oh, whatever. I'm I, telling. I'm I'm making all kinds of punch appointments, aren't I? <laughs> you, you really are. So go ahead. When when we would train for the week, we had a day that was all the guys were training in the gym, but we had a day specifically where we were training powerlifting stuff with Randall. And so we were training heavy on on squat and deadlift one day because Randall was getting ready for a competition. Well, the next day, we're trying to find a place where Josh can train. So we're learning to lift Atlas stones and we're, you know, doing farmer's walks and uh, carrying anvils across a gym and things like that. All kinds of manly things. In order to train Josh, right. And then the last, you know, like Wednesday, we've, so we've trained weights all, all this week. We would find a gym with some mats and then... A world powerlifting champion. What, what, did, what did Jim a, and Matt do? Not very much. They just laid there. Um, a world powerlifting <laughs> oh, champion. Unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, a world powerlifting champion. A a world strongman competitor. A wiry little 140 pound guy. That was you. Would then go and we would we, essentially. And I know what you're thinking. I wouldn't just lay there. <laughs> so, um, so Ron, Ron would do this thing called uh, Shark Tank, and it's a it's an actual um, exercise in jujitsu, and he would do it back home at Greeley, where essentially what would happen is he would be in the center of the mat. And all of these other guys would help him train by one at a time. You would roll with him. Either you get to the end of five minutes or until he taps you out. And then the next person goes in. And Ron would do this for a half hour straight without any breaks to try to train his conditioning. And so that he's working with different guys. So we would shark tank with him. And it was totally different because none of us knew what we were doing. And so it helped him in a way that um, like... When two jujitsu practitioners are rolling with each other, it's like a chess match. Mm-hmm. Like if you grab somebody by the lapel, you know that there's a handful of things that you can do. Conversely, when you've grabbed them, they know like he is probably trying to do like A, B, or C, right? And so you're trying to get into the head of your opponent and defend yourself at the same time to try to figure out where they're going. Ron had no idea what we were going to do, um, and especially with the other guys because they could rely so much on their strength which is not something, and I don't want to be misunderstood here. There are some guys in MMA that are incredibly strong, but they're not the strongest men in the world, hmm. right? They didn't just go from bench pressing 600 pounds two days ago to now they're in the ring with you and fighting. A guy that can bench press 400 pounds is an incredibly I mean, strong guy. I look at guy. Conor McGregor. Like, he's not massive. Right. No, not at all. He's an incredible fighter, but he's not. You know, like you're saying, he's not massive. I would say wiry to, yeah. to some degree. Yeah, but there you're putting now. Ron's putting himself in an an arena of sorts where he's he's wrestling with a guy that can push 400 pounds, not on a bench press, but just take a 400 pound log and press it over his head ten times with Josh Thigpen. That guy that literally can pick him up and throw him in a way that his competitors can't because he is one of the five strongest men on the planet. And so it shifted his training and forced him to do things and think in a way that he wouldn't normally because he's not one, he's not fighting people in the 140 pound category, which is what I was. So mm. he would try to like close down on me and I still got like four inches of space that I can take my little noodle <laughs> yeah. arm out of. Um, and he had these other guys where it's like, like he on, might... on Dennis the Menace. Remember that old movie? Yeah. Whenever he tied the, Walter the he, yeah, yeah, he tied the ropes <laughs> around Dennis the Menace and he just kind of just wiggled, just out, wiggled of out of him. Yeah. yeah. So, so it was that. And then on the other end, um, like if, if Ron was doing something and Josh or Randall didn't want him to move, they could hold him there. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anybody in his weight class that was a UFC fighter that would just be able to hold Ron still. Well, these two guys didn't. There was nothing that they were going to do. Mm-hmm. They knew that, but they also didn't want Ron to choke them, so they would just grab him. So if they could, if they could sit on him, yeah, they, you got a three hundred and sixty pound guy that's like. I have decided that you're not going anywhere. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, uh, this. And there were multiple times where Ron was like, you can't just stall. And Randall's like, yes, I can. Hey, hey Lukey, give me some, <laughs> give me thirds. Yeah, bring me, I'm bring me snacks. <laughs> right. Oh, it's a protein shake and a shake. So that was, um, yeah, definitely took some pride in that. It was a lot of fun. It was the first exposure that I got to jujitsu, which is now something that I've, I've shark, continued to shark do. Shark tanking. Yeah, but shark tanking, that's... That's what it is. When uh, whenever you 
were like ready to stop, did you ever tell him while you were shark tanking, like I'm out and here's why? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna tap and here's why. Yeah, and this this is why. Ron. That's a terrible joke. What you did really hurt in the shoulder and elbow area. <laughs> there you go. It caused a lot there of pain. Um, I don't. And, think, and therefore, I'm out. Yeah. Of time. Yeah, I could lick my, my elbow, and uh, I think I'm out. <laughs> that's not. Uh, yeah. yeah. No, that's not how it worked. You tapped, and you're like, <gasps> yeah. Yeah, and it was... There was no rationally explaining why you were out. No, no, yeah. especially not. So I'm, if if I am wearing a fresh pair of boots, I'm about 5'8", mm-hmm. and I'm I'm in like the 190-pound category Genuine right ostrich now. skin. Yeah, that's... <laughs> no, I can't afford that. But... <laughs> four easy, four so, easy payments of nine ninety nine. So Ron is 6'4", is and his last fight, he was around 295 yeah, he's pounds. he's huge. With with a six pack at fifty, right? That's not me at thirty five. Okay, so at my my peak when I'm working with these guys, I'm maybe in like the 160, 170 pound range right before I started bodybuilding. And Ron is not only eight inches taller than me; he outweighs me by over a hundred pounds. So going in and doing this stuff, it was an absolute blast to. Because now it's like on the it's that a, list of stuff that you can tell, you know, as the guys get around. Oh yeah, well I've fought a real UFC. I've yeah. rolled with a real UFC fighter. And like really, yes, yep. I was crushed. But <laughs> 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 you want to know what it's like for to be stuck underneath a three hundred pound man? <laughs> like this, that's it. I can relate to yeah. professional defensive tackles in a way that may <laughs> a lot of people can't. But other than that, there's there's not a whole lot to it. Hmm. Well, all all I kept thinking of uh, was. How relieved guys must be, particularly, but it's, you know, women too. It doesn't matter. But sure, when they're in a house fire and this titan headbutts the door down and walks <laughs> in, it's like, oh, thank right. you. You're gonna save all of us. Yeah, like I, we're we're totally fine. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. That would that would definitely provide f- some security. I'd be afraid because I'm a big guy too. That some yeah. little guy is going to come in and explain how we're going to get out. Excuse me, we're going to run through this wall. Yeah. I know the house is on yeah. fire, but I need you to crawl with me. Yeah, we're where he's just going to walk here. in. Yep, I yeah. got him. Yeah, he's Let's just, go get some food. He just picks up you and Heather and each Let's hand. go get all the food. He holds kale in his teeth and he just <laughs> walks out the yeah. door with all of you. I've saved this family. Yeah, yeah. That that does have to provide some security. You know yeah, what I didn't ask him that I thought would, in the world. that I thought would be really interesting because on I will tell you this, um, men. If you buy this book, you need to do. Did you ever do the uh, the book covers when you were in school? Yeah, yeah. yeah. You need to get the book cover the, for this, right? Because the if you brown just have paper that, on the yeah. front, you color on it. Yep, that's what I would do with this. I would cover this up. So you're not emasculated? Yeah, exactly. So that I'm not walking around the house, you know, Saturday morning. Because you don't have 25-inch arms? Exactly. Right? So cover it up. You you don't want that just hanging out around the house. But I, I didn't ask him. I do wonder if he's ever been in one of those, uh, the firefighter calendars. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah. I think it'd be an interesting... Maybe next time. We should have asked him. If, yeah, if ne- he's here in person. Next time when he gets here in person and he punches me in the face, you can ask him that. You know what? That. I think, so he's, uh, he said <laughs> right before we uh, right before we started the interview that he's actually done a couple of things with Team Impact recently, mm-hmm. and they're talking about doing some stuff here in Dallas uh, within the next couple of months if the COVID restrictions get lifted. I wonder if we couldn't get him in person and see if we can roll him over to our jujitsu gym and see if, yeah. uh, and then you can roll again. No, we can film you rolling with him. Oh, so <laughs> <laughs> I think okay. that would be a great I'm segment in. for the show. Dan Lee and Ron. Bum, 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 and with bum. you where he was nice, he was like, this is what I'd be doing. Yeah. It's, it's going to be a little more intense than we'll that. We'll put a helmet on you. Yeah. I'm going to need a lot of things. <laughs> you're going to just go ahead and make your rider out right now. The yeah. things that you're going to need. Yep. I'm gonna bubble wrap everything. First off, that would make a good video too. It would. It'd be Me funny. going against a UFC super heavyweight. Which now I don't know if he'd be in that same category. He's probably I, he's probably heavyweight. Well, I'm I don't know. We didn't ask him. Yeah. But he did give away his age. He's I 52. tend not to ask people their weight. Yeah, how come? Because it's rude. Speaking if of, you're not an athlete, it's rude, which is always funny. I mentioned of, I'm gonna go turn ahead. this way. Um Dan Lee, how are you doing on your abs by Christmas? I'm doing uh great. Are you? Mm, uh, I'm no, 
I, I would not say that I've gone back up. I've maintained mm-hmm. some. Uh, I, I lost. I ended up losing. I don't know, like twenty pounds or something. Okay. That's kind of where I'm still at. I've so, been there for a month. Here's the loophole that I want us to to oh, look at. Oh, thank goodness. Did we say by Christmas this year or just by Christmas? Um, we did not. Yeah, we did so, not say Christmas 2020. 2023, abs by Christmas. Now, I, I think it might be a realistic goal for both of us to reach next year. Yeah. But I don't know that it's happening because we're getting ready... Too. And by the time this airs, we'll we'll have done it. I, I think we're we, going to to visit. I have not met a lot of my wife's family. Oh yeah, and, and so you want to go going, be like, I can't eat this, mamma. R- yeah, I can't eat your your pudding. Mimi is making. Mimi. Yeah, Mimi is making some of her specialty desserts. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> Mimi's making some of her specialty desserts, and I don't want to be like, well. Uh, Do you have Splenda or a? Something else stupid. <laughs> do you have a stevia version? <laughs> do, you, do you have Splenda or something else stupid? Yeah, yeah. I no, just tell it's everybody. It's gonna have tons, no, tons of sugar to, and white flour. I can't flour. do this. I got the sugars. Yeah, um, there you go. But that's. I don't want to be that guy. That's like no, I I can't. I'm a I'm a so trying to trying to have abs for your granddaughter. <laughs> like what the, what the heck? I'm going to hang out with a guy who is a World War II veteran. He's, he does yeah, he's not, not fixing have, to hear that. Yeah, no, he doesn't have time for me to tell him I'm trying to get abs. <laughs> yeah, that's not what he was thinking about when he was my your solution to age. getting abs is meeting Mimi and not <laughs> eating her, her pie? My solution to getting abs is insulting your daughter. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because Mimi is his daughter. Butch is, uh, he's the great granddad. Oh, dang. Yeah. Yep. Sweet. Yeah, I'm. I'm excited. I, met I mean, him. for for me, I'll I'll say, and I think this is pretty well documented that yeah. it was always a joke with getting sure. abs. Right. I wanted to lose weight, and so did you. Yeah. We both have done that. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'm I'm still above where I was when we started. Yeah. Well, you got a lot of muscle tacked on. I think I'm working that that back end. All of my clothes are still very loose. It's it's pretty nice. Have oh, you, yeah. And and you were able to fit so, back into your skinny jeans, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Is but that a great way to put I it? Before I broke them. <laughs> yeah. No way. No, no, no. no okay, I good. I I, oh, that would that would be sad slash hilarious. No, but my sweats are falling off. <laughs> Our pet sweats are falling. off. <laughs> I know. I thought that too. <laughs> so, um, yeah. So be praying for me as I as I go down there because the. I met Butch, who is the granddad. I met Butch. Oh, man. Yeah, or the great, yeah, he's the great <laughs> oh, granddad man. and World you War II veteran. Screwed. So, so I met them. We they had like a Memorial Day thing uh, in 2019. What does he drink? Like iron for breakfast? He's got to. So literally, so we go to this. They've they've got this little. Their family has this little lake house, and so we go to the lake house, and everybody's hanging out. And Nanny, who is the great grandmother, who loves me because I'm a pastor, which I'm sort of the ire of all of the men in the family who have married in. And they're like, she only likes you because you're a preacher. I'm like, fine. Any of you guys could have been preachers if you would have committed your life to Jesus and tried to do good things with it. But whatever. (laughs) Um, Just nonchalantly throw that out there. I'm sure that's going to give me some hate. But anyway, so nanny's talking to me she's like oh blah 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 and we're getting along great and she goes you need to go outside and say hi to butch and i'm like what go say hi to butch and she is that the dog yeah like who who is butch and she points to the dock and out on the dock there is a man in a jacket with a black hat that says world war ii veteran on it who's just sitting on the dock alone and i was like okay well i guess i'm gonna go and that is a man right there and so he he does. He sits out on the dock. He casts three fishing poles into the water and is just sitting out there hanging out. And he, everyone in the family, it was like a scene from The Godfather. Mm-hmm. Like, make sure you go say, go out to the dock pay and your, you say hi to respect. Butch. Yep. And so they did. Like Butch doesn't come in and pay respect. No. You go out and pay respect to Butch. That's it. You go say hi to him yep. because he is the reason that you're all pay, here. Pay tribute. Yeah. And he's not, but he's not demanding that anybody come out there. It's a total like respect thing, but it was so awesome. So I went out there and I, Mm -hmm. you know, shook hands with him and I, you know, I'm like, hi, I'm Lucas. He's like, oh, you're Kirsten, sweetie. 
It's like, I, I am. And he looks at me and he goes, you're old. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. How did my, my great granddaughter end up with some elderly man? Um, he, he looks at I, me. I love this running yeah. joke now. So he looks at me and he goes, did you lose your razor? <laughs> And I was like, no, no, sir. I want to be like Thor, <laughs> the God of thunder <laughs> at the time I from Asgard, is- which is not a real place <laughs> <laughs> or Niflheim. <laughs> what did you say to me? No. So, so he asked me if I, if I lost my razor, I'm like, no, I, I grew this out because I, I would look really young without it. And I'm a pastor and this and that. And he goes, you're not, you're not one of those. Hmm. <laughs> That was it. You're not one of those. And then he just looked and like the pole starts to mend. So he's like, got a bite. And he looks at me and goes, bring me the pole. Okay. Right. I don't know what I could have been. I'm not one of those hmms is the best I've got. So I'm hoping. That's awesome. To get an answer. I, I, need, during, I need an update. During this trip as to what I'm not. Um, and then my, uh, my darling wife came out and she was like, Hey, Granddaddy, hey, blah, blah, blah. He's like, oh, it's so good to see you. And like gets up to say hi <laughs> yeah. to her as he should, yeah. right? Um, but he's happy to see her, gives her a hug, sits back down. And Greatest generation. Yeah, man. and he's like doting on her. Meanwhile, I come yeah. back over and um, he's like, so is this your sweetie? She's like, yeah, this is Lucas, blah, blah, blah. And he looks at her and he goes, did he lose his razor? <laughs> <laughs> so, yep. I remember Ron Swanson said that to somebody. Is the razor in your house broken, son? <laughs> he, well, he, he Butch sounds very Butch. Yeah, yeah, most. It sounds like a perfect name. Most definitely, and he is, by all accounts, uh, a great and really friendly guy, and that we're supposed to keep our eye on him because he cheats at dominoes. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody has told me going into this, they're like, he cheats. All right. If you go, when you go down there and you're with your, your butch and nanny's house or a papa and nanny's house is what they call it. When you're at papa and nanny's house, you gotta, you gotta watch out for papa because he cheats at dominoes. (laughs) Like what? Like, yeah, like bad. Like he, he cheats bad. And, will like That's slip fantastic. things in and people won't realize it for like five turns that he put a domino down that shouldn't be there. They're like, there will be a six and he'll put down two threes. And he's like, well, they equal six and then just put it down and people will start playing off of it. Cause they just assume that he did the right thing. Like, no, but he'll ruin. A- Does he ever play it off? Like, Oh, I didn't know. Or well, if he gets caught, apparently he like jokes about it. But okay. if you don't notice it, then he just won't say anything. And you'll get through like half a game with a bad whole area of dominoes that I, he ruined. I, I like this. Yeah, he seems. I like this guy. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited to get to go and, and to hang out with him and see if I can answer the question of, I'm not one of those what's. Yeah. Can you elaborate on that, sir? Yeah. Do you mind? Uh, Please. Do you mind finishing a sentence you started a year and a half ago? <laughs> <laughs> So, oh, well, uh, yeah. Well, hey, Danley, thanks for being was, on my show and playing guitar for me in oh, my band. I hate you. It <laughs> was another episode. Yeah, it was. Uh, thanks to Ron Waterman. Make sure to go check him out at ronwaterman.com. The book is Tapped Out by Jesus from the Cage to the Cross. Um, he's got some gear on the H2O Man site or on yep. ronwaterman.com, some H2O Man gear that made by Chin Check and, uh, and some of the other companies that still sponsor and endorse him as an athlete make sure that you like and subscribe mm-hmm. and to the rev and the rep wherever you get your podcast but also right down here yeah and, and if you're my friend i expect you to go comment too yeah you could comment. any friends of mine or no friends of mine if you're have not you commenting. seen the comments so we've been doing facebook premieres and i know we've been ending the show but we'll we'll pause the ending for a minute and then we'll just pick it right back up have you noticed and I don't know if anybody out there Who is doing you YouTube to videos. Just then? The, the audience. Oh, okay. So if uh, if you have created a Facebook premiere, mm-hmm. the first comments are always bad websites. Yes, I have we, noticed that. We are we, having we've, to we've monitor had a bunch it of them that we got to go. We've delete. had to delete like immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, so we need other people to comment so that those things get buried. So make sure that you comment if you really like us, and if you really don't like us, just make sure you comment and tag Danley. Yeah. Other than that. Yeah, if you're my friend, go comment on my stupid show, you wieners. Is that safe?
that we've got. Well, uh, Danley had um, some some alternate titles that he was wondering that if these were some things that you had considered for your book title, your book tapped out by Jesus from the cage to the cross um, is available on Amazon and on your website. You can actually get an autographed copy on your website. And, uh, and Danley had made a list of alternate book titles. And he was asking me about this in the pre-show. And I was like, I think you should pitch them. them to Ron for the sequel. So go go ahead. You you had a couple of things you wanted to share I, with me. I don't Ron. know what he's talking about. Yes, you, <laughs> you sir, I've got a list in front of me. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, wrestling with faith is one. Where where you can now like you're. See, he's gonna punch me. He's gonna yeah. find me and punch me. Well, now me. now that he's now that he's got that one, the sequel, wrestling with faith, you know, can then G- be a little G- bit you know, more Jesus, in depth. Jesus said to forgive others. <laughs> <laughs> Love your neighbor as yourself. Don't don't put them in a key lock. That would be that would be a, a good thing. Um, I, I punched do, in the spirit was the other one. I <laughs> I think that those could could work as alternative titles. Yeah, 